message shone entirely through that whole show with the scriptures and the songs. It was fantastic. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started because I'm a lot more nervous than those kids are, even if it doesn't seem like it. Our gracious Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we find life and life to the full, life that begins here and now, that goes on into eternity. God, I pray that you would speak to the hearts here this morning. God, that your spirit would work through the message, work through your scripture, and touch our lives who need to be challenged this morning, maybe encouraged, maybe reminded of the truth that there is a God amidst this broken, dark world who wants to shine a light of Jesus Christ into the hearts of lost people. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So here we are. It's almost Christmas. Are you ready? Do you have those gifts all purchased yet and wrapped and put under the tree? Because I don't. But there will be presents under the tree on Christmas Day. The wrapping paper, the pretty bows, and all the other things that people use to decorate the gifts they've got for friends and family, flying off the shelves. All so that the gifts can be in place for that big day. So if you get a gift from me and it's wrapped up in the Calgary Sun or Calgary Herald newspaper, it's because I couldn't find any wrapping paper at the mall. But when you get right down to it, all of that wrapping paper or those nicely tied ribbons, those pretty bags, really just serve one purpose. They are meant to hide the true contents of the package. Because you can't have people finding out too early what you gave them for Christmas, right? Where would the fun be in that? That would ruin it. There would be no anticipation. There would be no, please give me a hint. Please, can I open just one, just one present before Christmas? One of my favorite Christmas shows, I'll admit, is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. Great Christmas show. And there's, there's a lot of funny scenes, but there's one scene where he gets locked up in the attic, and the scene in and of itself is funny. But one thing that stands out from that scene specifically... He goes up to the attic, and he tries to find a hiding spot for this present. And then he puts his hand back there, and he pulls out one present, 1985, pulls out another present, 1981. He's got presents that he hid from about five or ten years earlier, so he really knew how to hide Christmas presents. He hid them so good that he couldn't find them. So to keep this growing excitement, our gifts are wrapped, and they remain a surprise until the time is right to rip off the, pre- the paper and the bows, and we burst with joy and excitement on Christmas morning. Well, as we saw this morning with the kids' concert, there is a gift that surpasses them all. It is the gift of the good news for those who want a relationship with our Creator God. You see, years ago there was a package of another kind that came special delivery for the entire world. And many were waiting with anxious expectation for this gift. Remember when we were little children, we would grab our presents and we would shake them and try to guess, try to figure out what was in that package. Maybe we would sneak when mom and dad weren't around and just rip open the corner and try to see if it was that Tonka toy or those G.I. Joes, at least for me. Or maybe we would sneak into the closet to see if they were in that famous hiding spot or in the garage. We couldn't wait for Christmas morning, and as the anticipation grew, we would keep guessing and try to speculate what was in those beautifully wrapped packages. Well, about 2,000 years ago, there was also much speculation and anticipation about what 
the gift would be and when it would come. You see, many believed from the rumors that had started that God was sending a gift to the world. And it stirred in the hearts of the young and the old generations of the Jewish heritage because that gift would be a king. Someone to turn the nation of Israel back to honor and prosperity and deliver peace at last. The idea of a gift being a king wasn't just a shot in the dark either. You see, the Jewish people were paying attention to the clues that they were being given. I'm going to read some of these clues from the Old Testament that most first century Jews would have been well aware of. And these prophetic scriptures gave the Jewish people a sneak peek to this amazing Christmas gift. We're going to go to the book of Micah. The prophet Micah says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock, and the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Hmm. And Micah wasn't the only one speaking of this coming gift. The prophet Isaiah also foretold of this coming gift. He said that there would be a sign that the people should pay attention to if they wanted to know the big day of the gift's arrival. And Isaiah chapter 7 says... Therefore, the Lord himself will give a sign. The virgin will be with child. And she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For unto us a child has been born. To us, a son has been given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, and from that time on, forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And yet here's one more clue of this gift to come when the prophet Jeremiah writes about this righteous branch that was on his way. Chapter 23 from the book of Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Those who lived before the gift arrived had their hearts set on what they thought that gift would be. They just knew that the gift would be a king, a noble leader who would put an end to Israel's oppression and domination by those Romans all around them. And this coming king would be someone that would put the unjust rulers in their place and somebody who would deal with the crooked tax collectors, somebody who would pound those bullies and help the homeless and stand up for the poor, 
Somebody who could quiet the sounds of fighting and partying and gunfire in the neighborhood and turn the drug houses into daycare centers. Somebody who would make the world a better place. They expected a king who would bring peace and prosperity for all. A king who would turn things around and make things right and lift the world from the darkness of humanity's wickedness and bring hope and peace and joy and salvation at last. The one they were looking for would have to be strong. A leader above all leaders. He would, be, he would need to be brilliant. This guy would have to be able to solve the problems of the world, so he would need a mind to surpass that of Einstein or Bill Gates or any other wise men of our age. He would have to possess charisma that had never been witnessed before because how else could he rally the people together and enter Israel into a new beginning and a brighter tomorrow? But who could this leader be? What would the Savior look like? How would they recognize him? The people thought they knew what they would receive. They thought they guessed what would be in that present under the tree. But like so many of us, their conclusion was based more on what they wanted rather than what God knew they needed. One wise man wrote, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us a teacher or a professor If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist or an engineer. If our greatest need had been money, perhaps God would have sent a financial advisor. Maybe if our greatest need was pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer or a travel agent. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. God had planned from the beginning of time, to send us a Savior, one who would deliver us from sin that enslaves people and seeks to destroy each and every one of us. The people never dreamt that the gift would be a Savior, one who would forgive and set us free from something far more powerful than the world's evil darkness or devilish dictators or neighborhood bullies or whatever. The prophets had foretold the coming of the greatest gift that would ever be given But what the people were looking for and what was given were two completely different things. The people were expecting a gift of leadership, strength, and charisma. The people wanted to keep up with the Joneses. They wanted to be like those powerful nations all around them. They wanted a powerful king, but not the king of kings. They wanted a king like all the other nations had. And so throughout history, God had promised that he would send a gift for his people. And that gift would change their lives forever. God's gift would bring hope and peace and joy and love. And it would set the captives free. And there would be salvation for all who would receive it. But he would give the gift when the time was right. And the people expected the gift to come at any moment. They wanted this strong, charismatic leader to to come in and rally the troops and overthrow their Roman enemies. Now, right now. So there were many looking and searching, but they never could have dreamt up a scenario like the one that unfolded in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. They expected the knight in shining armor, this prince to ride in on a white stallion. But when Christmas morning came and they rushed downstairs and they looked under the tree, God had sent them a baby. 
What? A baby? The most defenseless, helpless, dependent of all of God's creatures? A baby? How could a baby help Israel overthrow their enemies? How could a baby bring economic prosperity when they can't even hold a job? How could a baby bring peace when all he was concerned about was being fed and having his diaper changed? How could a baby be the greatest gift ever? And the way this baby arrived on the scene was unimaginable, especially for one who would be king one day. Imagine this setting. A dirty, dark, stinky old barn full of animal manure and hay. And this is the environment that the Son of God was born into. This is the reality of the nativity. During Christmas, I'm pretty sure all of us prefer the smell of cookies baking in the oven or the fresh pine smell of the Christmas tree or the turkey roasting instead of the smell of animal manure any day. And yet, if we, if we want to understand the true picture of the nativity, of the incarnation, the true picture of the advent, the coming of Jesus, we got to recognize it wasn't a pretty nativity scene. And there was nowhere, and it was nowhere near what the people expected. Now, hypothetically speaking, if we were to write this story of the nativity, God coming to earth, and we were honest, I think if we were to come as the Son of God, we would have chosen to enter the world in a more proper fashion for a king. For one, I think we would come down as a fully grown man, not as a helpless babe in a manger. I think we would come down more like the Avengers, Thor, the god of thunder, and come down and, and be strong and handsome and powerful, charismatic god-man. Or at the very least, we would show up with a gold-plated SUV and totally skip that uh, giving birth scene in the manger. But of course, if we were to do it our way, this king would have studied at all the best schools. He would have started all the most charitable organizations, held the most prestigious positions in society. Not to mention this soon-to-be king would also have to write a best-selling book and so on and so forth. Because after all, if you want to make a difference in this world, you got to go big or go home, right? Not this Jesus. Jesus was born in a barn. He was laid into an animal's feeding trough. His mother, she was known as the tramp because she got pregnant while she was engaged to be married. And then Jesus' father was the butt of everyone's jokes around town because they thought that his bride-to-be cheated on him during their engagement. Scandalous! Front page of the tabloid stuff. And of course, we know he grew up in a poor town to a blue-collar, woodworking father. Jesus never held any prestigious position, religiously or politically. He was hated by most of the good religious folk, and he died like a common criminal. It's not exactly the life that naturally inspires warm, fuzzy holiday celebrations, is it? But this gift, this baby would grow up and become a man. But the people still weren't convinced that he was such a wonderful gift. After all, Jesus was from Nazareth, wasn't he? How can a kid from the wrong side of the tracks do anything to help us, they thought. It was Nathaniel who put words to these feelings that the people had. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It says in John chapter 1. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. 
Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, were from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth! Edmonton! Can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked? I'm sorry if you're from Edmonton. I'm from Lacklebish. Come and see, said Philip. Come and see for yourself. There's never been a gift that has been so masterfully concealed in all of history. Jesus didn't announce to the world that he was the chosen one. Nobody expected God, the Savior, to come wrapped in humanity, packaged in a welfare recipient's clothing. And it seems as though Jesus himself worked to conceal his identity for the longest time until the time was right. Because on, one, on more than one occasion, Jesus healed somebody with a disease or he helped somebody with some handicap or he performed a miracle, he would say, don't tell anyone. In Matthew 17, there's a story about the time Jesus was transfigured on a mountain. And the Bible says, while he was speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground because they were terrified. Who was this voice? But Jesus came.